If you wanted a masterclass on emotions, that's what you need, all right? Get the valence, like how bright or dark is it, get that right, get the size right, get the amount of movement right, and then, last thing, add a few musical metaphors. You're portraying that music no problem. So welcome to something new. This is the first episode of a podcast that we are tentatively calling Sitting at the Table. This is my longtime friend and roommate, Antonio. And yeah, we're basically just going to talk about movies that we really like. So we've we kind of got like a weird kind of dichotomy going on where um, I, as some of you know, am a trained therapist turned professional musician. Um, Antonio is a trained musician turned professional therapist. So um, we both love film scores. We both love movies. And we thought we would just kind of take a time to kind of talk about our favorite scores. So recently we watched Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Awesome movie. Really cool kind of episode for the series. A really cool movie in the series. And while we were watching it, we were both taking notes. And we just decided we'd talk about our favorite scenes, our favorite cues, and just what we think that aspiring film composers can learn about scoring films and capturing emotions with their music. So, awesome. Um, yeah. Anything to say? No, I think that this has just been like a really cool, it's been something that Stephen yeah. and I have been talking about for actually years, if you'd believe it. Right. Um, not this particular podcast, but like doing a podcast <laughs> of some kind. We're very creative yeah. people. We wouldn't be millennials so. if we didn't talk about having a podcast. Th that's right. Uh, so, <laughs> awesome. So, let's kind of dive in. All mm -hmm. right, so first, uh, do you want to go first or should I go first? I'll, I'll let you go first because I think your scene actually starts before mine does. So Awesome, yes. So, the first Probably. scene that... I really enjoy, and I think is important to pay attention to, is the scene with Aunt Marge blowing up into a balloon. So let's actually watch the first 30 seconds of the scene together, and then I can talk about what I think young film composers can learn from this scene. All right, so we got our super high-tech earbuds right now, but let's watch. Mm. I love this. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Very easy. I always see her in the trunchbull from Matilda. So we'll call it there. All right, but there are just a <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to bring to like your attention. All right, so first off is how the emotions are scored in this scene. So mm -hmm. right now, it's kind of one of, the, one of the most important things to learn as a film composer is that you're not scoring the emotions of the characters on screen. Yes. All right, because the characters can't actually hear the music. Mm -hmm. All right, you're scoring to the emotions of your audience. So. And what we can see in the scene is if they were to score to the emotions of Aunt Marge, for example, there'd be a lot of fear. The Dursleys would be a bit of panic because they have an understanding of what's going on and they don't have, are powerless to stop it. And if we were to score Harry's perspective, it would be a very 
angry kind of music because he's been pushed to just kind of this... I mean, he's been pushed to using magic without realizing it. So he's obviously very angry. But instead, what we hear is this really kind of fun, almost waltz it's dance like kind of, right? It's, it's a very yeah. bouncy kind of music <laughs> that I love. It's a very comedic mm. kind of sound. And that is not, it's not for Harry. It's not for the Jersey. It's not for Aunt Marge. It's for us, the audience, all right? Because we see this as funny. Right. All right, we see this abusive lady get what she deserves mm-hmm. all right and we think it's funny she gets blown up it's not like she's being hurt any terribly or irrevocably we know that it's all going to end up well and the music just kind of makes it kind of enjoyable and bounceable so that's i'd say this rule number one for scoring emotions is that you score to the emotions that you want your audience to feel right, right? and so for here we want it to be kind of light we want it to be a fun way to start the movie and yeah so there's, there's not any suspense so always remember, your characters cannot hear your music, but the audience can. Mm-hmm. So rule number two, this is going to be kind of like a running theme I've got for my kind of pieces that we're going to go through, is this film is very unique out of the three Harry Potter films, I believe, that uh, John Williams scored. I think he did the first three. I don't know if he came back. His themes are used throughout, but I, he only does the first three. And the first two were very thematic. They use lots of what we call technical cues. Uh, a technical cue is just kind of a cue in your movie that contains a theme, mm-hmm. all right? A re- like a theme or a motif that's going to return a lot. Yeah. So, for example, Hedwig's theme. The bum 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 ba da dum. Yeah, that one, that's a technical cue because that's an important theme that returns. Mm. This is an example of a non-technical cue. We don't hear Aunt Marge's theme come back to my knowledge maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong uh but we don't hear her theme come back all that often signaling aunt march maybe i'm wrong let me know in the comments if this theme comes back i didn't do an exhaustive kind of like study of this soundtrack but there are several examples in this film where non-technical cues are used where there's not an important theme there's not an important motif but what we find instead is this use of music used for world building. And I'm going to go on this a little bit more down kind of the line as I talk about other scenes. But that's what sets this score apart from the other films that John Williams scored in this series, is it's a very highly non-technical score. He's not worried so much about having all of his themes weave in and out. He's more interested in uh, world building, like creating different personalities, different moods, different sections of this wizarding world that we've gotten to know. The first two movies are very regal, very kind of magical sounding. And here we're going to have all kinds of weird different sound palettes that he comes up with to just create the kind of the sound of Mm -hmm. the world. And that goes very in kind of Alfonso Cuaron is the one who created the, uh, he was the director of this film. And his whole angle for this Harry Potter movie was that he wanted to make it feel more like a world. He wanted to see more aspects of it. He wanted the students to wear their uniforms the way that they would want to wear them as actors. He wanted to create new aspects of the world that we see go to more parts of Hogwarts. He just wanted to make it feel uh, soft world building, Mm -hmm. where soft world building is just kind of you build a world, you don't explain everything in it. You just let it exist uh, for its own sake. Getting a notification on here, I'm going to get rid of that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, two things I think you can learn from this. One, always score to the audience's emotions, what you want your audience to feel, not what the characters are necessarily feeling. And two, music doesn't always have to have a theme or motif. It can be used very 
effectively for just kind of world building. Mm -hmm. And uh, the number one priority of music is always score the emotion. Yes. If you score the emotion that you want your audience to feel, if you enhance the emotion, it's kind of called the principle of immediacy. That you are forming, you are matching what's immediately on the screen right now. That is always most important. It takes priority over long term. So score the emotions. Don't worry about long term themes and motifs and stuff. As long as you've got the emotion. You can because themes and motifs can kind of elevate your score. But if it's kind of like if you were to spend a lot of time planning themes and motifs and get those right, uh, but fail to get the emotions, then your soundtrack's not going to work. But if you get all of the emotions and fail to use a bunch of themes and motifs to tell the story, your soundtrack's still going to work because you fulfilled the number one responsibility of enhancing the emotions of the audience. All right, so that was my first scene. All right, mm -hmm. you got anything? For this one, you know, the thing that kind of was sticking out to me a lot, just kind of as Stephen was mm -hmm. sort of talking, was um, there's an element of satisfaction in kind of getting that right like feel when mm -hmm. it comes to you know and i'm gonna kind of talk in like layman's terms because i'm yeah. not as like i'm it's weird <laughs> That's i saying. have a weird like connection to music i'm like classically trained but not really yeah. so um not so much as a composer more as a performer so bear with me um but you know i think i think the thing in particular with this when it comes to like mm -hmm. it, it's like a satisfying kind of score choice to make this sound kind of goofy yeah. Even though, like, this is like kind of terrifying, actually. If you're like <laughs> right? in the, if you're in the the actual, if you're in the actual scene. Well, you could very easily put boss music over this. Very, yeah, just, exactly. Gotta, if you wanted to go a much darker route and show just like, the raw power of a wizard, <laughs> right. gotta, you could make this a horror film very easy. Right, right, and and there's and, and and the I think the important thing that I'm trying to say is. You know, the kind of like what Stephen was saying is you want to connect with the audience. You want to, you know, you the emotions of the audience kind of trump the emotions of the characters in specific instances like this. There's a lot of like conflicting sort of things going on, like, you know, Marge's and, and the, the Dursley's just horror at what Harry's doing. Harry's just like incessant <laughs> anger. He's, you know, he's just like he's it's like visceral, like you can see it, you know, like he wants to attack her. But I mean, you know, he throws that towel down. Yeah. Basically, so he's like, telling her to shut up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like almost weird. I don't know that I've ever, maybe a few times in my life, have I ever seen someone get that angry. Yeah, and then like this is, and then for the scene that this, you know, they, they choose. Well, this. it happens all the time in Hollywood, right? Oh, yeah. very and Harry's an angry character. Yeah. Now, so we we've kind of talked about like how it's important to score to the audience's emotion, but mm -hmm. as a therapist, do you have any kind of insight in how to navigate under, like, how do you understand what emotions you want your audience to feel? Yeah, that's a good question, um, and it's something we'll you'll you'll definitely see a lot because that, that's definitely what I what I you know looked at yeah. in my scenes mm -hmm. uh, in particular. Um, I think the big thing is you know there needs to be an empathy component. Mm -hmm. So you know I want you to put yourself in your audience's shoes. I mean I know mm -hmm. that that maybe sounds like a little bit cliche, but I want you to really do that. And mm -hmm. what that means is you know don't just kind of okay. I imagine it might be this. I imagine it might be that. Um, there are physiological you know, changes in your body and in your brain when you feel things, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, anger, you can think about like what, if you wanted to score to Harry's anger, yeah. how would you do that? Well, you have to think about what it means to be angry, right? What does it mean to be angry? Pounding you heart know, rate. Pounding getting, heart rate. Yeah. Uh, kind of a lot of intensity. Yeah. You're physically so, reactive. Yeah. You know, you're very physically, re you know, he, he uses his body. It's, it's, a very, it's a very physically expressive emotion. Yeah. It, well, in men. So that, that's where it gets a little... 
<laughs> complicated. Yeah, this you know you're you wanna... putting on your you're putting on your therapist head. Yeah. So now now yeah. I'm going into it, but um, but you know, but that's kind of like the complexity of it, right? So like, there's definitely a lot of things if you wanted to go like basic level. Yeah, anger is pretty much physiologically yeah. experienced as emotion, negative thoughts towards somebody, usually violent. Yeah, thoughts. and we're it, like <laughs> that's that was uh so Antonio helped me build the initial kind of version of what. Um, of like the emotions and music tool that I teach for the class. It's come a long way since we first started, but that was always a big part of it is we were always like the secret to portray any emotion with music is to learn how to describe the emotion. Mm -hmm. All right. The common example I use is if sadness is kind of like a lower energy, darker emotion, the best way to portray that with your music is lower energy, darker harmonies right. kind of thing, darker colors and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, you're talking about, like, having an empathy, about, like, understanding what your uh, audience would feel mm -hmm. in this scene. So, you're kind of talking about, like, watch the theme. What would your audience genuinely be feeling? And just yeah. enhance that. Mm -hmm. And here, we kind of feel a little bit of a vindication. Yeah. All right? So, we watch her, especially if you're, like, someone who read the book. We know how abusive and terrible Marge is. She right. is abusing Harry. He's talking bad about his mom, his dad. Uh saying all terrible things in front of him. Like, mm -hmm. she is saying, advocating for him to get beaten by his teachers because that'll straighten him out. She's saying he should be thrown in an orphanage. Which is... And even going back and watching this, it was, yeah. like, hilarious to me just how cartoonishly evil these people were. Right? <laughs> I don't remember it being that bad. Right? I mean, well, I remember it being, like, bad. It wasn't like he didn't have a good time. No, obviously. no, no, no. In the book, she specifically <laughs> says, but he's like, I don't like how happy he was when he says he gets beaten at school with a cane. I would write to them and say, you you, you approve of extreme force for this one. She's saying terrible She's things. so evil. And so we see how <laughs> evil she is, and then we see her blow up like a balloon. Right? right? So, it's vin so it's vindication. So we, as... An audience member wouldn't be angry like Harry. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd be righteously indignant, at least. Right. Uh, but seeing her blow up like a balloon, we think, like, ha, that's funny. All right, you get what you get. No. All right, and so you write music that's kind of funny. And so you get what you get. Exactly. <laughs> um, so like, I really like that. So the idea is not to try and force an emotion on the audience, but to right. spend some time yeah. in thinking, all right, as an audience member what emotion are they going to naturally feel? If you can have that empathy of understanding mm -hmm. what your audience is going to feel, then it's a, it's a simple matter of just kind of enhancing that emotion with your music. Mm -hmm. We're see a lot of really cool examples of that, but I really like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm good there. <laughs> good. All right, so awesome. Yeah. So what's your first scene? So my first scene is... It's not my favorite scene in the movie, but it's one of them. It's one of the top three. Um, <laughs> top three. Top, one of the top three, yes. <laughs> right. It's the, you know, my scene that we're going to explore is when the or when they're on the train heading out to Hogwarts and the Dementors Ooh. get to come. Yeah, to Dementors. The first yeah. Time. Oh, that's a good one. We All get right. to see them in, in the flesh for the first time. So Awesome. So, let's watch the first 30 seconds. Sure. Why are we stopping? Can't be there yet. What's going on? No. I know, Maybe right? broken down. Ouch, Ron, that was my foot. There's something moving out there.
in this movie me too very well done i remember when we were kids reading the books yeah and you know you always like kind of you read about them and then they yeah. you know they described them and it, it's really funny because like rarely in my life do i ever get it right like when right? i imagine what the thing looks like and then they portray it in the movie and i'm just like that's a dementor it works well there it is you liked it so that was like your halloween costume for like what 12 years at least yeah <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was a pretty pretty it was a, it was a it was a long-running one right. so uh, I've got a couple notes that I want to talk about this scene, but let's, let's hear what you got to say first. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I picked this one because it, it's pretty visceral. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there's a lot happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the train stops, we're in the dark, the, I mean, the yeah. lights go out, it's like classic. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. Um <laughs> Musically, what's really happening that I noticed really, really well in the beginning mm-hmm. is that, like, the, the sounds of the environment actually blended with the score very, oh, very yeah, nice. it's a very kind of, like, soundscape score. There's no melody. yeah. Uh, Exactly, yeah. And, and and kind of on that note, like the absence of rhythm. So yeah. suspense, right? Suspense is the emotion that I kind of wrote down for this one that I was just yeah. like, suspense, impending doom, pretty anxiety invoking. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the commonality with suspense and impending doom? We don't know what's happening. Very <laughs> we true. don't know what's going to come. So we have these long, drawn out... This is exactly what I was going to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> right? We have these really long, drawn out, you know, kind of like notes and like really dissonant chords and everything kind of mm-hmm. going on in the background that we're not like... We don't know like what's going to happen. Like we yep. see the, you know, we see the cloak come up and we see that and it... Um, as you kind of draw that out, and because there's an absence of rhythm, there's an absence of predictability. Yep. So the absence of yep. predictability, right, that sucks. Yes. <laughs> like, that's very anxious. Mm-hmm. Or that makes you very anxious, so. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Because yeah. this, again, understanding how to describe your emotions being key mm-hmm. to knowing how to score them in music. So you mentioned like, that suspense, the idea of unpredictability, unfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. So how do you create music that sounds suspenseful? Mm-hmm. You write music that removes that familiarity. So right. here we see many examples. Removes any kind of discernible rhythm. Mm-hmm. All right, Removes any tonal kind of collection. Instead of having a nice consonant major or minor scale, we work with some very dissonant tones. A lot of uh, tritones, a lot of minor seconds, a lot of clashing dissonances that muddy up the tonal center mm-hmm. uh, there's no melody all of these things like rhythm melody consonants and tonality these are all things that w- give us context and familiarity and kind of a sense of understanding to music mm-hmm. so when you remove them you're removing that sense of familiarity that removal right. that that you put so well is that predictability yeah, that safety all right you so yeah. i've talked about in a couple videos about how the essence of music is just forming patterns Right? If you want something to sound musical, you just need to form a pattern. Mm-hmm. All chord progressions that are effective form a pattern of some sort, whether that's a pattern using functional harmony, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a pattern using functional, like a, a shared tone, or it's a pattern like sentence structure or period structure. Everything musical 
is based on a pattern to some degree because it gives you context. It gives you a way to make sense of it as it unfolds over time. I mean, even the difference between noise and a musical sound or a sound with picture versus no picture, however you want to describe it, mm-hmm. is based on whether or not the sound waves form a pattern. Right. So it's right in the DNA of like audio physics or whatever you would call that. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> right. Well, but I mean, yeah. but you can kind of hear in this yeah. one where like he really toes that line. Yeah, he does. This this would be noise. You would not listen to this in the car. I would say, I, I kind of listen maybe, to it. Maybe, maybe I would say it depends on your but, preference. Yeah. yeah, but I mean like this isn't something, okay, let me put it to you this way. This isn't something that like the average person looking for like a joyful musical experience. I wouldn't call it noise, but I'd say it's kind of like not exactly my idea of music. It's like music. a controlled chaos. It's a, sa- it's a soundscape. It's yeah. like a soundscape because there's still pitch, there's still movement, there's still patterns because it works to some degree but the patterns are all very unfamiliar and alien Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how you kind of make these things work because you still find some patterns to work like a general rising and falling in pitch even Mm -hmm. if it's super dissonant it's still going to kind of work um and so yeah i was i was thinking about the same exact thing about how you get this unsettling experience and going back to your point on empathy Mm -hmm. earlier as an audience member, there's a lot of information that you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read the books, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what a Dementor is. But suddenly, the happy little train ride got stopped. Right. Shook, threw Harry down. Ron is scared. Harry is scared. Hermione is scared. You're seeing the windows are now freezing over. Not only did the window freeze over, but we watched a bottle of something freeze. I, was that pop or something? I don't know. It was probably sparkling water. Yeah, sparkling water. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wish I had some sparkling water right now. Right. right. I don't know. Um, but it's... No, like we're seeing all of these dark, eerie things coming. They swapped the lights. You can see here on screen. I'm going to move my mouse again. Harry is bathed in kind of a blue light, which mm-hmm. is Hollywood film kind of magic for darkness. Mm-hmm. All right? When there's blue light, it's supposed to be... They're in pitch black. All right? You see that all the time in Lord of the Rings... The kind of idea is like, well, if it's the middle of the night, where did all this light come from? Well, it came from the same place that the score is from, that mm-hmm. the music is from, right? Right. If you make a fight or dark scene like this completely realistic to where we can't see really anything, it, it's not always enjoyable, all right? Because, I mean, I think, I never watched it, but I believe Game of Thrones had an issue where they tried making mm-hmm. like a fight at night. I might be wrong, maybe it was another show or something, but, but someone tried to do a fight scene at night, and they tried to make it as realistic as possible. It was like, oh, there's no light. You want to make it co- confusing. And then they're like, well, we just missed out on the coolest fight. Couldn't see it. Yeah, so the kind of the blue light, when there's blue light, it's kind of taken to be understood. It's pitch black in there. You mm-hmm. can't see anything. So we're all kind of scared. They see a bit of the hand come through, whatever. Um, and yeah, it's a very kind of disorienting soundtrack and sound design to st- scare the audience a little bit mm-hmm. all right i mean there are lots of scenes when i was really little that i got scared at in right. harry potter in the second movie when the whomping willow was hitting we were in theaters and i made my mom leave because i was terrified the troll had come back i hated the troll <laughs> uh from the first movie and yeah. so uh, yeah i know but uh Look, he came back no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was the troll i ran out and i made my mom take me out of the theater and she explains like it's the tree it's the tree don't you remember i read this book to you right. uh, but no yeah yeah so it's much more horrifying than the <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and then the, the other kind of thing i want to mention is like the uh how the music started yeah. All right. So if we go back to the beginning of the scene, which I'm going to do real quick, mm-hmm. we get this like the music really comes into its own here, you know, kind of this establishing shot. Now, an establishing shot is basically just 
a picture in the film where the focus of the frame is the setting. Mm-hmm. All right, the camera wants you to get information about where the story, where the characters are. Yeah, they want to know what part of the world they're in and stuff. So, an establishing shot in films is a beautiful opportunity for the music to take center stage. And so that's how we see like John Williams very masterfully brings the music in and bring lets it enter on an establishing shot where there's not a lot of kind of uh, dialogue. There's not a lot of kind of things to compete with the music, not a lot of sound effects. And so there are actually kind of like four types of scenes where the music can really come into its own really big like this. So there's the main titles. The main titles are always super important. That's where you establish the style of your music and the overall tone of the film so this movie opens up with a big kind of thing of hedwig's theme as harry's practicing magic even though Mm -hmm. he's not allowed to do that i don't know why they added that to this movie um but uh yeah so they're kind of practicing music and so we have a big kind of bum 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 ba da dum the the huge kind of thing going on as the warner brothers signal comes in the shield emblem or whatever they've got comes in Uh, so main titles super important it's an opportunity to establish the sound of your film Mm -hmm. second one is going to be key emotional beats, all right? So key emotional beats, that's basically the story arc and the character arc. So in any good film, the character starts one way, and by the end of the film, they've changed in some way, shape, or form. Now, the key moments throughout a film where the character is invited to change or they take steps towards that change, those are the key character beats, all right? So those are scenes where it's very important and the music can play a big role and kind of take a little bit of center, center stage for a little bit and come into its own. So that's where important themes can be used. Mm-hmm. Then the other two are establishing shots like this. Not a lot of dialogue. You're getting information about the world. And so the music can start to play a bigger part because it gives you more information. And the fourth one being montages and montage transitions where it's a short bit where there's a long passage of time. They're usually important moments in the film. And again, it provides a great opportunity for a big thematic statement. So that's just kind of me rambling about that. Uh, but yeah, so awesome scene. Anything else you want to talk about with it? this one? Um, shout out to England, man. There's some pretty mountains there. <laughs> really, really enjoyed. That's what you had to say? Yeah. It right. was so pretty. All right, all right. Uh, I, yep. Oh, yeah. Good on you, England. Nice mountains. <laughs> I, I do like this shot, though. This It really yeah, is cool. Like, I, I like the bridge isolates them. Yep. It makes it even freakier when Ron says there's people moving out there. But you're on a bridge. How could that be moving? All that stuff. Yeah, I yeah this one. I always got such a weird vibe from this movie out of the other two. It's or the the first two. I should yep, say. yeah. This movie changes vibe mm-hmm. vibes very dramatically. All right. Yeah. So again, different director instead of Chris Columbus. We've got Alfonso Cuaron. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be pronouncing those names wrong. I'm sorry if I am. <laughs> um, but in the first two, it was very much like a clean. Like, yeah. magical wonder. It emphasizes, like, the wonder of this world. Um, the third movie tries to make it more, like, mundane. Mm-hmm. The characters have been there for a couple of years. You want, they want, they're used to the magic. They're used to the wonder. So he wants to show you a lot of it. And a lot of the movie is much, much darker. Mm-hmm. All right? Yes. And much different. Which brings me to my next scene. There's actually a collection mm-hmm. of scenes. But um, I'm going to bring up a couple of them. We're going to look at a couple moments mm-hmm. from the night bus. I'm going to look at the uh, Bogart scene. And then, what was my other one? Um, oh yeah, yeah, Night Bus and Bogart scene. All right, and then these coupled with Aunt Marge mm-hmm. are going to be a couple things that I want to talk about. So let's find them real quick. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
All right, so scene number one, just a couple seconds of the night bus. We're not going to watch it as long as the others. Take her away, Ian. Yeah, take it away, Ernie. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> What did you say your name was again? I didn't. All right, we'll pause it there. Then the next one I want to bring up is the Bogart scene. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to picture the thing they fear the very most and turn it into something funny. Next, Ron. Concentrate. Hey, Sophie. Be brave. <laughs> Wander the ready, Ron. Wander the ready. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's right there. That's the first thing I want to talk about. The mix of both of these things called diegetic and non-diegetic music. So diegetic music is music from the story world, all right? Music that the characters themselves can hear, right? Now we've got a nice little kind of funny, jazzy, dance, swing type number that Professor Lupin has put on. Then we have non-diegetic music, music that the characters cannot hear. It's not from the story world. It's for the audience's experience. And so we phase back and forth, uh, again, playing to the emotions of the characters, uh, of the audience, we want them to be a little scared, a little tense of the giant black widow spider, and then it cuts back to the f- funny music. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a masterful expression of that and use of that uh, to help. There is diegetic music, there is music that the characters are listening to, but you're prioritizing the kind of use of the audience's emotions. Cool little thing there, but what I want to point out is the difference between the night bus, the Bogart scene, and Ant March. All three of those are very different styles of music that we didn't really hear in the first two movies. All right. And so, again, the idea of like this movie has a lot of non-technical cues, a lot of themes and motifs that are used once and then just kind of discarded, which is not a bad thing. Instead, rather than trying to build continuity through themes and motifs, what John Williams is doing is he's using a variation of sound palettes to bring new life to the world. All right. And... In a world like this, where there's a lot of soft world building, again, a reminder, soft world building means we're placed in a world and we aren't given specific rules. All right, so we don't know what makes a wizard particularly more powerful than another. We don't necessarily know how potions are made and the science behind potion making. Uh, We don't know a lot about the history of how Hogwarts itself is made. We know a little bit about it. But the idea is that there are so many unanswered questions to this world building. And so what John Williams does is rather than trying to use specific a ton of different specific themes. So, uh, for example, like some composers do, he's done that in the past, but rather than use a whole bunch of themes to build continuity throughout the film, instead what he's using is a bunch of different sound palettes to help flesh out the world, to give more personality. Because the first two films, they've got some different sound palettes, but it's very much like monochromatic color-wise, mm-hmm. right? You've got the orchestra, you've got the celeste, the harp, you've got a couple things here and there where it's Pretty reliable, it's just kind of the one sound of Harry Potter. Whereas here, for the first time, with a new director who wants to explore more of the world and make it feel more real, more realistic, something more like what we live in, um, he's exploring more aspects of it. We get the night bus is kind of like a night 
nighttime job, a night shift that these guys have. It's a crazy driver zipping and zapping, using magic to avoid car accidents and stuff. So he makes it fun. He makes it a really fast-paced, kind of nightlife, jazzy sound. All right, for the Bogart, we've got Professor Lupin, who's a little bit older than he is in the books. Uh, we've got an old-timey kind of gramophone, and he wants to make some music that keeps the, uh, the students from getting too scared. He's, put, he's a good teacher. He knows that they're doing something scary. He's putting on some happy music to make it easier for them to picture funny things and to get excited about it. And so he gets a funny example right off the bat of Professor Snape in drag, um, all kinds of stuff. And so he's a good teacher. He's setting things up so the funny music makes sense. But then back and forth, there are moments where it's scary and suspenseful again that we were talking about. And then it comes back to the funny music. So back and forth, again, world building. And again, with Aunt Marge, kind of like the little kind of plumping around kind of funny thing. Now, the more I think about it, I think the, the theme from Aunt Marge, I think, might repeat a couple times and not be associated with Aunt Marge. But that's just kind of a feeling I'm getting. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. But my main thing here is that using themes and motifs is not the only strategy you can use in music. Not everybody has to be a Howard Shore who could uses 96 themes and motifs to score the entire extended trilogy of Lord of the Rings. Right, you don't have to have that deep of a thought. Mm. John Williams does that from time to time. He has films where he does very distinct themes. But a lot of what John, John Williams does is more of this, kind of like a mix, where he has two, maybe three or four important themes. Maybe it's key characters, like a Voldemort theme or a Harry's Magical World theme. A couple of them that build continuity and kind of flesh out the world, the story arc. The, the themes trace the story arc, essentially. All the key beats are unified through a theme, but... Everything else can be non-technical, music that doesn't have an important theme. So if it doesn't track a key important moment in a character or a character arc or story arc, you can use that music to just flesh out the world, give it a new style, give a new personality to this class, give a new personality to this section of the wizarding world that's not like the working class wizarding world kind of thing. Um, all kinds of cool things. So yeah, the, my main yeah, so my main takeaway from like these collections of three scenes I've shown is the idea that your music does not always have to have a theme. You don't always have to have a motif. If you want to, good for you. But it could be moments where you're just like, you know what, I want to hit the emotions. That's key. Always hit the appropriate emotions. That's what makes a successful soundtrack or not. Enhance the emotions that need to be enhanced. But after that, have fun with it. You can do world building. You can write in a genre that you like more than the main themes or whatever it is, as long as it makes sense for the story. All right? Make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Any questions? No questions. Um. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was teaching. That was that was teaching. Well, that's what that was. Therapist moment versus teaching moment. Yeah. Which is gonna win out? No, I think um, um, I will take a therapist moment here actually right, we'll hear it, we'll hear and discuss the idea of tension and release. Right. So ah, there yes. is. Um, this is not like an uncommon thing. Yep. In any aspect in life, okay. I don't think. I think that everybody, some to some degree, has like an understanding of like things happen. They can create tension, and then there's a resolution to that tension, yeah. right? This is not an uncommon theme in like in music as well, right? Mm -hmm. Any type of you know any any classical piece of music, any anything you can think of has some some version of this, yeah, um, or a lack thereof because it's an expectation of it. We won't go there, but um, there's always a catch. There's always a catch, but uh, rules are not to be broken. Mm -hmm. But um, in this particular case, um, I wanted to kind of bring light on, you know, particularly in this scene with yeah. Professor Lupin, how like this is actually 
Um, trauma therapy. <laughs> Is it? Genuinely. Yeah. I, it, it, and it's, and, and, and I'm going to say it this way so that it kind of makes sense for, right. you know, for, for music compositions, but you know, in trauma, when we experience something, okay. there is there's an initial like reaction. Like we don't want to go and experience. So like Ron with 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 the spider, he's terrified of spiders. You know, I'm not going to oh, analyze yeah. them and get into it. But you yeah. know, I don't know if you see there's the a reason. It's in the book. Yeah, it's exactly. in the book. He was a kid, and he uh, I think it was, he was in the book. It says he was like a little kid. Accidentally broke his brother George. Probably Fred. Fred is the more kind of malicious of the two. Mm-hmm. Not malicious, but he's the more aggressive of the two. I say. So he breaks Fred's toy broomstick. And then Fred, accidentally, as a young kid who can't control his magic, transforms the teddy bear Ron is holding into a giant spider. Oh. And so that's why he's terrified. <laughs> so it probably is a little bit of a trauma. There's, oh, yeah, no, that, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. And and kind of the way that I'll, I'll draw it full circle is, um, you know, re-scripting something mm-hmm. and turning it into something else can actually be very, very satisfying. Oh. So that's what's happening here, where Ron is... I, I think it's... I mean, my opinion, slightly lame rescripting I with like the with the roller skates. I think yeah. the Snape example is a better one. I think yeah. it's, but it's just goofy. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah, the yeah. being goofy, um, goofiness. He's never telling client that's a lame rescript. <laughs> right? Yeah, I wouldn't actually say that. Right? You know, to someone who's it. who's healing it. Yeah. Right? You think yeah. it and you don't say it. Um, but uh, you know, but in this particular case, I think it's really fascinating that like you know they went through this and the music yeah. reflects it. Right? So like it it it's black and white in terms of, like, it changes from one to the other, like, very dramatically. Um, now, that is something that you can absolutely do, you know, and because it's, it's like I said, it's relatable. We yeah. all have experiences where, you know, we experience something that's like, I don't really like that. That's going to, like, create problems later on. And then when you can finally look at it and be like, and see it from, like, a different lens, right? So a real fun one that you guys might be able to try is um, if you're thinking of something like this and thinking of, um, I'm going to tell him the cartoon character one, is thinking, oh, yeah. of, thinking of something like this and thinking of, you know, something that like might be, you know, terrifying to you. Um, or like if you're thinking in terms of like your audience, maybe your audience yeah. would be terrified. If you want to create this push-pull, think about whatever that like terrifying entity is talking in the goofiest cartoon voice that you can think of. Yeah. Because, it, and, and what it does, what you notice, is it starts to make that scary spider look a little bit ridiculous, which is, you know. It's simple tricks. <laughs> Full like, circle. Simple little things. <laughs> I mean, like, of course, that's not going to work for everybody. Right. Uh, but uh, there, there's a name to this type of therapy, isn't there? Like the rescripting? It's just dr- general trauma therapy. General trauma yeah, therapy. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a it's a sentiment through different types of modalities. Yeah, just kind of uh, yeah. There has to be an, an instance where you're exposed to the thing that you don't like, and then you have to rescript it and, yeah. and reframe it. I think it sounds a little like CBT therapy, or I guess CBT is kind of the kind of behavioral therapy. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, that, that, that is kind of fun, kind of rescripting and a little fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could go down the rabbit hole here. I there, really, I really there's, want to a, there's, a, there's a beautiful rabbit hole waiting for uh, us to go I, down. I, I really <laughs> want to. Because, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I went through, I did six years of grad school. Mm-hmm. All right, or not six years of grad school. I did six years of school. Four years, psych major, ma- uh, music matter. He's got then, more psych experience than me. I do, yes. <laughs> again, again, it was the music musician turned therapist and therapist turned musician. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did four years of psych, research all four years. I specialized in personality psych. Uh, as an undergrad, because I also did psych and music. As an undergrad, I got a job teaching a class mm-hmm. on psych and music. Which was really cool. I did that for two semesters. Then as a graduate student, uh, master's in social work. Mm-hmm. Again, specialized in therapy and health. 
And then at that point, I was kind of going through my midlife crisis, uh, my current midlife crisis, where I was realizing I don't want to do this. I just want to be a musician. Those were fun years. So I kind of panicked, panicked, um, swapped like half my credits in my master's degree were actually with the School of Music. That was the beautiful thing about the social work program, like learning to be a therapist, they encouraged interdisciplinary study. So like half your credits could be taken in another school. Now, traditionally, I was told very traditionally, because this is technically a loophole, I'm supposed to use those credits for the School of Public Health or the School of Sociology or the Psych Department. Um, it was very unusual for a social work student to want to take classes with the School of Music, let alone half of their credits. Right. I, was also, I think to this day, I think I'm the only student at the University of Michigan to have not done marching band as an undergrad and then auditioned as a grad student and made it. I mean, there have been grad students who were part of the marching band before, like beforehand, but I was the first one, and to my knowledge, the only one who had not done it as an undergrad and then did it as a grad student. Because yeah, every other grad student had done it as an undergrad and just continued. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but that's, uh, I'm sidetracking. <laughs> All of that story was just to say that I, I mean, I wouldn't have done six years of my life dedicated to psych and therapy if I wasn't passionate about it to some degree. I just found out it's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. All right. And so uh, I found out I was good at like the book smarts part of it. I wasn't good at the therapy part of it. I mean, oh. I'm sure I'd be amazing at it, uh, but the, the, the idea was I couldn't walk away at the end of the day. Every story I heard, every person I worked with, it got to my head and I couldn't walk away from it. I couldn't. And so I just realized like this job's going to kill me. I can't do this. I, I, I carry everything with me. So I wanted out and yeah, that was unnecessarily long Here tangent to say that I <laughs> yeah. love psychology. I love yeah. therapy and I love talking about like the therapy modalities and stuff. I love the theory of it. Mm-hmm. I don't like listening to people's problems. Don't like the actual application. I don't like the application. <laughs> I, I, I love the application. I love helping people. If I could help people without having to listen right, to you them. You like the idea of I it. Li- yeah, I like the idea of the profession, all right? But I just couldn't do it. We do this a lot. We do. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Yeah. All right. So yeah, a little backstory. We've known each other since first grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went first grade, so we did elementary, middle school, and gra- uh, high school together. Then undergrad, we went to different colleges, but then we both went to grad school at the same place. Yeah. And so we've known each other a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was my night bus and my unnecessary tangent. I always do at least one per stream. Yeah, there we go. Check yeah. it off the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, got my establishing shot kind of thing talked about. Awesome. So I've got one more scene. What do you got? I have two still. That's right. So we are Makes going sense. to go ahead. Yeah. Your turn. Yes, it is my turn. We are going to go to Lupin and Harry on the bridge. The first <gasps> scene where we see the two of them have a heart to heart. Window through time. A window through time. Right, awesome. Professor, can I ask you something? You want to know why I stopped you facing that boggart? Yes. I would have thought it would be obvious. I assumed it would take the shape of Lord Voldemort. I did think of Voldemort at first, but then I remembered that night on the train and the Dementor. Well, I'm very impressed. That suggests that what you fear the most is fear itself. This is very wise. Before I fainted, I heard something. A woman screaming. All right, I think we'll stop Yeah. Beautiful scene. An iconic piece of music by John Williams. Yes. But what do you have to say about it? Yeah, all of that and more. 
So <laughs> more. Yeah, let's That's hear right. it. We're gonna say some more. Um, safety is the big thing here, right? Yep. We're establishing safety. Um, I wanted this scene because this isn't something. I mean, I've ri- I've I've tried to write music for years, right? You know, and 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 have kind of come up with some things here and there. And one thing, one aspect of music that I've always found that I'm really good at is visceral. Like, oh my gosh, this is happening right now. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm remiss to say that that might be a common thing where like, it's pretty easy to write things that are like very there in front of you. I would say it's very easy to write stuff that you personally connect very deeply to. Right. That being said, <laughs> so I'm not connecting to safety. <laughs> it's uh like, it's, it's very easy to kind of get a, an emotional response out of your own music. Uh, the, the caveat there being, if you're like a hobbyist and you're just doing this because you love it. Right. Like, once you decide you want to get better at it, that's when you hate all your music. All right? I hate it. That's just kind of a stage. But yeah. no, yeah. So it's, yeah. So, yeah. I, I would say it's pretty common for people to just get very emotionally responsive to their own music because that's why they're writing it. Right. Then that makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, all that to say, um, I wanted to pick this one because there was a sense of safety that I just, you know, I, I found it really interesting that to kind of, like, explore how they promoted it with the music. So, yeah. a little background on safety. Right. Um, we... We all have the ability to experience it, obviously. Um, safety is one of those unique ones yeah. that you cannot choose to experience. Huh. It has to happen to you. You cannot choose it. So I could tell you, hey, think of something to make you upset. Or, hey, think mm-hmm. of something to make you happy. Right. That... <laughs> I'm going to get going. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's pretty easy to do that. You know, like, I mean, for some, for some of us. Some of us have easier times accessing certain emotions and memories mm-hmm. versus others. Safety is one um it, it is it's the felt emotion it's something that you okay. have to you can like organize things in a certain way to make it you know to make it kind of like you can organize things in a certain way to make it kind of um happen you know yeah. happen as well, you, it can, you, you can set the stage for it you can set the stage for it but ultimately it has to happen naturally so okay. what i really liked about this one here is the stage was honestly set very perfectly. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, I mean, we have obviously with the scenery, the scenery is very beautiful, but music-wise, um, safety is there, mm-hmm. right? Safety is something that we sort of take it for granted yeah. when we're in it because we don't need to, like, yeah. yearn for it. So just like the music, the music is kind of, like, there. When you're listening to it, it's just, it's it's in the background, it's moving, It's there's a little movement. It's very predictable, right? Predictability and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of predictability and safety. Uh, it's inherent to it, I would say. Yeah. Another thing, um, another thing is, especially with the characters, when we're kind of looking at Lupin and Harry, this is a, this is an establishment of safety. So the goal here is to view Lupin as a safe person for Harry Mm -hmm. and Harry, you know, and and we're kind of viewing this through his lens because if you, if we go on to watch the scene, the music kind of changes as he like remembers things about his parents and stuff like that. And like Lupin's telling stories. Um, There's the connection. The music is the connection between the two of them. Yeah. So the goal with the scene was to establish that sense of like, this is a safe person. This is somebody who Harry should be okay with having around. And not just Harry, but we need the audience to like Lupin. Exactly. We need the audience, because going back to your idea of like the empathy with the audience, understanding what the audience needs to feel. The audience is supposed to, in the feel, or in the story, they need to feel that they trust Lupin. That Mm -hmm. Lupin, Harry starts to view Lupin a bit as a father figure. Yes. And we want the audience to feel the same way. We want the audience to agree that Lupin is a good 
father figure. The fandom seems to love Lupin, so I think that was done rather effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like you said, a lot of the ways we do this, like Harry just had a very big disappointment. His last mm-hmm. hope, Professor McGonagall saying that he could go to Hogsmeade, she said, sorry, but she can't do it. It would be inappropriate, right? So mm-hmm. Harry just had a big disappointment where he had to watch his friends leave without him on a fun field trip to the village. The first one, he never got to go to the first trip with them, never got to experience it for the first time with them. And the reason why is because his abusive aunt and uncle did not sign it. This is a reaction of the abuse. So we we, know, we already know that it's a pretty big emotional space mm-hmm. for Harry. Now what happens next is immediately after that, we see him in kind of a secluded area, an enclosed area, talking with Lupin. Mm-hmm. Looking, they're not talking about Hogsmeade, but he's looking for some kind of affirmation. All right, And he gets that from Harry. Lupin is talking about, you're very wise to fear fear itself mm-hmm. over Voldemort. Right, right. And so kind of the way the music helps with this is kind of going back to that point I made earlier, that it's crucial for you to understand how to describe your emotion. If you can describe your emotion, then you can write music that fits that description and capture that emotion. So mm-hmm. energy-wise, safety is a very low-energy emotion. All right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not an intense emotion, right? It's something that you experience... But it's not something that overwhelms you. Like you're not going to be like jumping off the walls because you feel so safe, kind of thing. Right. I mean, well, there, well, I won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, like could, the argument could be made that a kid jumps around the walls because they feel safe, and they don't. No, no, well, that's another tangent. Yeah. Uh, no, so the idea that like safety safety general, isn't the same as expression. True. True. Yes. Expression yes. happens because of safety. Safety yeah. is baseline. See yeah. this. Thank you. Yeah. This is why you're here. my keep with this. Right, yeah. <laughs> you just earned your keep. All right? all right. So, yeah, but the idea that they, we want to create a sense of safety. So the music needs to create a sense of safety. And lower energy music kind of emulates the lower energy experience of safety. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're safe, you just, it's kind of hard to describe. You feel safe. All you're right? just in it. Yeah, you're just in it. You're experiencing it. And so the music is also something that we're just kind of sitting in. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a very small arrangement, very intimate arrangement. We've got solo flute mm-hmm. and then strings coming, lush strings. It's slow moving. There's not a lot of eighth notes or sixteenth notes. There's not rapid rhythms. There's not massive instrumentation. It's not a super fast tempo. The energy is soft, controlled, and we're able to just sit in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, that's kind of an idea of start by ex- describing your motion. How would you describe it across? Like how dark is it? How bright is it? How much energy? What type of energy is it? Like, um, so like the kind of the way I teach in my class is that the energy that you express, size, you know, like the size of your instrumentation is kind of emblematic of how overwhelming the emotion is, mm-hmm. how all-consuming is the emotional. It's all you can experience. Like if someone compliments you, it's like nice haircut kind of thing. Like you're happy, you're nice, but that's not about to distract you from everything else you need to do throughout the day. Right. Now, if you win the Mega Millions lottery. And suddenly you realize, my student debt is paid off. I can get my own house. The first thing I don't need to live about. with a bunch of people. That's the like, first thing that you can have. Right? That's life-changing. Right? That's, that's life-changing. Right? And so you're going to have it very difficult, or I would find it very difficult, to, to script out my next video or to right. outline my next video. All right? So that would call for a massive musical response size mm-hmm. now the other aspect of emotional like energy is like how energizing is it or how draining is it all right so i'm telling you right now if i got that kind of money to pay off all my student debts and get my own place i'm happy all right i love you guys but i'm moving on all right and so 
Like I that would I'd be bouncing off walls, I'd be rubbing my hands together, I'd be excited, I'd be jumping, I'd be dancing, mm-hmm. I'd be calling my family, I'd be doing all kinds of stuff. Because it's a very energizing feeling of excitement. That's high energy. So the music needs to represent that kind of high level of movement. Now, if I got complimented on my haircut, awesome. Nice. All right, I'm happy. But I'm still going to be able to outline my... If I'm still going to outline my next video. It's not going to distract me from what I need to do. And so the number of... The amount of movement isn't as important. Right. Um, where was I going to say? Oh, it's... Uh, Ah, yes, energy. That was the thing I wanted to talk about. And then the other one just being kind of circle back to one of like your very first points was the idea mm-hmm. of empathizing with the audience. I kind of touched on this already, but it's important for the audience to also feel a sense of safety with Lupin. Yes. We need to view him as an important father figure because towards the end of the movie, when we find out that he's friends with Sirius Black, the antagonist of the film, there's supposed to be that moment of betrayal. Yeah, that moment of... I mean, it's not... It's, I love the movie. I love the book. I think I think the scene. There are ways the scene, the feeling of de, of despair and like betrayal could have been done better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that works. And so the idea of again thinking about what you want your audience to feel. We could do all kinds of things here. If we were playing to Harry, we could be talking. We could write music that feels very frustrated. All right. If we're talking about Lupin, I mean, there's all kinds of feelings that we could have for Lupin. A mm-hmm. lot of it could be regret and sadness, and the music is. Little bit on the sad part, mm-hmm. which makes sense because they talk about Harry's parents. Uh, but you could really ham up like the pain that Lupin experiences because in the book and the movies yeah. it's said over and over and over again, Harry looks just like his father. So every time Lupin sees Harry, he's reminded of his best friend mm-hmm. who died violently. Uh, so there's all kinds of things you could do, but for the audience, it's important to build this sense of safety with Lupin, to express that feeling. So again, that empathy of what do you need your audience to feel in this emotion, right. that is going to reveal what the music needs to do. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, I think that's all That's all I have for that one. Just, nice. yeah, another shout out to England, man. Beautiful. <laughs> Scotland. Oh, this Hogwarts, is Scotland. Hogwarts is in Scotland. Well, I won't get political. But yeah, no, beautiful. <laughs> Either way. Uh, beautiful, yes, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Let's see here. All right, speaking of beautiful, my last scene. I have to do it. I don't even have a lot to say about this scene. I just, one of my all-time favorite pieces John Williams ever wrote, Buckbeak's Flight. Mm-hmm. All right, let's watch it. Very fun one. Come on. Uh, hey, 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 hey. Over here. Hey, uh, Just <laughs> Don't pull out any of his feathers, because he won't thank you for that. Oh! <laughs> No, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. That was too long. <laughs> All right. 
So, I love this piece. I've said it multiple times. I'll say it again. This is like top 10 favorite pieces of film music. All right. Easily, I think, one of my favorite, if not the favorite pieces that John Williams has ever written. Mm -hmm. Now, the big, something that's really crucial, I'm kind of venturing into your territory here a little bit and talking about the emotion of the story. Um, But the reason why this music is so crucial is this is like one of the only scenes in the entire film that we see an expression of pure joy and elation. Mm -hmm. This is a very dark film, especially compared, well, compared to the first two. All right, we open up with Aunt Marge. We go to the night bus where they've got the shrunken head. He's funny, but it's darker, like darker setting. The leaky cauldron is made much more dark. Tom, the barman, now looks like Igor and Uncle mm-hmm. Fester had a baby. Yeah. Um, it looks like... Uh... I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Sometimes you got to laugh at your own. I got to laugh Frustrating, great, amazing. I, uh, I, uh, someone's got to laugh. Right? Someone's got. To. All right, so yeah, but you got like Hogwarts is darker. You've got uh, the Bogart. There's a lot of tension, a lot of fear in this movie. It's much, much darker than the others. And so this is one of the first times that we see Harry. Like Sirius Black is hunting after Harry. This is the first time we get to see him just kind of enjoy life in the film. And my favorite part of the music is just that big release when we finally see Harry let go of the hippograph and just kind of put his arms out mm-hmm. and just experience life. Yeah. It's a beautiful, like, he experiences the joy, allows himself to experience it. And kind of going back to the idea of describing the emotion first, this feeling of elation, it's very all-consuming, mm-hmm. all right? Very high energy. Like, this is, Harry is, like, shouting with joy, all right? So very large scale, big backdrop, Huge instrumentation. We've got brass, percussion, strings, woodwinds. Everybody's coming to play here. All right. Number two, this is a high energizing. So not just kind of all consuming, but very high energy emotion. So Harry is excited. He's screaming with joy. He's shouting. So lots of movement. You've got rhythmic chords, fast moving kind of ear candy in the woodwinds. Uh, Lots of uh, simple ideas. And then the overarching melody moves slow. But that builds contrast with that ba da 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 da. Yeah, that was terribly out of pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is like you've got that slower moving melody, which still moves fast because it's a fast tempo. You've got even faster things underneath, even faster accompaniment, all of which offers contrast, builds a ton of energy, and kind of enhances the emotion. So high energy emotion in terms of both scale and energy, like energizing. So lots of movement, lots of size. This is also a very bright. Happy emotion, so mm-hmm. obviously very bright, happy kind of harmony. Now, the last kind of tool that I talk about in using emotions, big plug. If you want to learn, like, if you want to go in-depth on portraying emotions with music, check out my class, all right? It's really fun, I promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool class. But the idea is, like, the final tool for portraying emotions and not just moods mm-hmm. is gesture. Because music can portray moods perfectly well with just, the, like, the energy and valence. But what makes it an actual emotion and unique is gesture. The idea of musical metaphors. All right, Finding ways to portray specific experiences. Right. Now, there are a lot of metaphors going on here. It's kind of like the high school lit teacher approach. Uh, how, can you, like, how can you overanalyze and find out every little thing that the music is doing that could be a metaphor for the emotion? Mm-hmm. But the big one I'll talk about is this idea of flight, of soaring. There are like no bass elements. Mm-hmm. All right, so the bass register, like below low C, nothing. The register from low C to the octave higher, 
little bit here and there, but for the most part, the baseline is absent. We've got lots of high register, tons of middle register, but the low register is almost gone, so there's no anchor. And right. so that's very metaphorical, remove the anchor and you can fly kind of thing. So it works mm -hmm. really well. So that's kind of my spiel. If you wanted a master class on emotions, that's what you need. All right, get the valence, like how bright or dark is it? Get that right, get the size right, get the amount of movement right. And then last thing, add a few musical metaphors. You're portraying that music, no problem. Yep. Uh, that emotion, no problem. Again, you wanna learn more, check out my class. All right, you get live lessons with me. You learn much more in depth. You learn dozens and dozens of tools for manipulating energy, size, valence, all of it. So yeah, check that out. That's my plug. Yeah. In fact, I would like to thank our sponsor, this video is being sponsored by my class. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you to the sponsors. Couldn't do it without you. All yeah. right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Anything you want to add? I kind of yeah. want to spiel there. Ah, spiels are spiels, man. Um, you know, and, and, and what I always tell my patients is that every, there is no useless information. Mm -hmm. There is only information. Hmm. I've never said that to a patient before, but I'm, I'm going to say it now. <laughs> because you're going to claim that you're saying I'm going to claim things. it. Yep. Yeah. No, I do. Uh, I... I Along those things, we both have ADHD. I'm just going to out of self here. So we, um, <laughs> every time I've had to say something like that, I see a lot of patients with ADHD. So every yeah. time I talk, you know, they'll oftentimes apologize and I, you know, I got you. It's okay. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, no useless no, information. No useless information. Just beautiful little tangents. Yeah, exactly. Right. Everything is connected. And, um, what I'm going to kind of use that to segue into here. Connections. Is, no, it's not related at all, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to use I'm going to use that to segue into my into my comments here. I'm going to explain why this works. Oh, here. So um, I'm not going to go into the deep explanation of the dopamine system, but common. What, what's the first thing that you hear when you think of dopamine? You hear joy. You hear like, oh my gosh, like you did it. That's the thing. Um, not true. It's not that. Mm -hmm. It's the anticipation leading to that. Huh. That is why you feel the release of that, like, really oh. intense, like, joy, right? So the reason that Harry had such an intense experience while being able to kind of just let loose and enjoy is because there was a lot of tension leading up yeah, to The that. anticipation of it. The, yeah. So, and, and the yeah. music built that, right? So in, in kind of what Stephen was sort of explaining, using all of the contrast and using the building of, you know, the building of, like, the... Now, the tempo didn't really change, but, like, the... The, the amount of movement, of the layers, the texture. Yeah, but it, it all got like it. If I go like this, you all know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. it did this. Yep. Until finally, there was just one of these, right? <laughs> so, these. You know, there's just one of these. Yeah. No, there's a release. There is. And it's yeah. that moment where Harry like spreads his arms. The bomb. It's like March with a symbol crash. Mm -hmm. Big, large statement of the melody. Right. Um. Yeah, and I love that. I the idea that the ant the release is made possible By because the of the anticipation. Now and I think you're, if you were to cut out that first half and just right. start right with the release, like no music and just boom, ready plays. Right. Maybe there'd be something because there's still the visuals lead up of the film. Right. But it's gonna pale in comparison. And that's the that's the nice thing about being a film composer is you have the visuals to go off. Of. Mm -hmm. So because the next point would be. That there is no way, there, there are a lot of ways that you can over and underdo anticipation in yeah. music. So, I'm not, you know, I mean, some, some composers are really, really skilled at this and some, you know, maybe not so much. But, you know, there can be too much anticipation. I mean, it's just like anything in, like, real oh, life. Yeah. Like, what, you know, how hard are you going to work for the piece of candy? Kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like you're not marginal gonna, value. The marginal value is there. Yeah. And, and, and it really is present in this scene as well. 
Um, again, it's nice being a film composer because you have, like, a specific amount of screen time yeah. that you need to score for, and then they can, like, you know, they can they can make it fit in with but, all of the editing magic. Yeah, going so. back to your earlier comment about, like, rules are meant to be broken, sometimes having all build-up and no payoff works out. For example, sometimes. Hans Zimmer's famous score for The Joker. Mm-hmm. Constant rise in tension. Never a real payoff. There's, there is kind of a payoff at the end, because yeah. of course it has to be something. Right. But the main idea, the gesture, if you will, for the character, uh, for the character theme of the Joker, was constant rise in tension, never knowing when it's going to snap. Mm-hmm. All right. So exactly. no, I really like that the idea that like if you don't pay enough attention to the build up, if there's no anticipation, mm-hmm. the payoff isn't is going to be diminished. Right. So if you constantly dull the amount of anticipation, so if you dull like, for example, going to the therapy, the dopamine response. Mm-hmm. If you are constantly refusing yourself the ability to anticipate it, if it's constant, constant, just immediate gratification, I am very guilty of that. I'm trying to stop it. Mm-hmm. Of, oh, it's going to take two minutes for this to render. Let's get on Instagram. <laughs> by the, but the constant, like, re- the constant release with zero mm-hmm. anticipation dulls your experience. It dulls your yeah. ability to get joy or satisfaction or release. Right. From that dopamine. So that's kind of like a little therapy thing. Yeah. It sounds weird, but practice self-denial. Mm-hmm. Right? Deny yourself small little things here and there. Build, allow yourself to sit in anticipation. Right. Common way of saying it, allow yourself to be bored. Yep. Which, allow yourself to be bored every once in a while. Allow yourself to an- sit in anticipation of things every once in a while. And the dopamine hits when you actually get what you're waiting for much bigger. Yeah. Right? You have more control yeah, more over control, those yeah. peaks and valleys, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. That was my last scene. Yeah. What is your last one? This is going much longer than I thought it would, but I'm enjoying <laughs> I was gonna it quite say, a bit. It's, it's, it's working. Yeah. I love to hear myself talk, so. My last scene is mm-hmm. probably my favorite scene, actually. Let me hear um, Harry casting his Patronus. <gasps> that was my emergency fourth scene. Was it really? Yeah, right here. Well, Patronus can, theme. I got, I got notes on it. I've got notes on it. Right. We can both talk about it. <laughs> Let's do this. Any minute. Right there. You'll see. Harry, listen to me. No one's coming. Don't worry, he will. He will come. so that YouTube doesn't come after me. Yep. Um, <laughs> awesome. So what is it that you want to say about this scene? So the so the core kind of tenet here um, is movement. So emotional movement. Yeah. Um, and triumph, essentially. So there's there, there's that movement from his kind of like anticipation. So a little bit kind of like what we were talking about before. Like there's an anticipation here. He's waiting mm-hmm. for his dad to show up because he thinks his dad's going to show up. Yeah. Um, time is so weird. But, uh, so he, he, he ends up, you know, he ends up deciding to just make the call himself and to go and use his, you know, to go use Expecto Patronum, save his past self, as well as Sirius Black from, from the Dementors. Um, I like this one because it, you know, it opens up, 
Yeah. It opens things up. So there's like a moment when Harry has to make a decision. And that de- that decision sh- transforms him from kind of past Harry to like now Harry, right? So he's still kind of like over with Sirius Black until he decides we need to go do this. Yeah. So movement in the music signifies the movement in the character arc, right? So Ooh. this is a coming of this is a coming of age yeah. moment for him, right? So and it's also kind of like interesting how, you know, he viewed his dad as the person who did it originally, even though it was like his past oh, yeah. version of himself. So that's just like another little I don't know if he that was like to, meant to be that way, but he has to become his own father. He has to be that's that's Freud weird. would love but, that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he probably would. That's very Freudian. <laughs> very no, Freudian. No, but, but you know, I, I really liked it because there was that moment of like, you know, it's he's he's evolved essentially mm-hmm. right like he's yeah. moved on and he's he's taken the mantle that he's meant to take yeah and even just like saying that like there's there's like emotion in that and and it's not like and and when you're talking about like moving somebody emotionally it's a really complicated thing because mm-hmm. like people can be moved to do all sorts of things people yeah. can be moved to tears people can be moved to action people can be moved to uh, anything anything you can think of um, you know, and this is essentially like a big, massive dislodging of what's holding Harry back from, you know, being able to make that call. He's waiting. He's waiting for something. And that something was actually in him the whole time. I really so. like that. Because that's also making me realize, kind of just, maybe I'm overthinking it. But throughout the film, we see Harry running to adults. Mm-hmm. All right. So he asks uh, Professor McGonagall to yeah. sign his permission slip. He asks, he asks, yeah. he goes to Lupin to learn how to fight Dementors. He goes to Lupin to like talk about why he wouldn't let him go in front of the Bogart. Uh, he goes to Dumbledore to tell mm-hmm. him Sirius is innocent. You need to step in and do something to fix it. And so this is kind of, again, I might be overreading it, but this is kind of like the moment in the story where Harry casts that aside and decides he's going to be the authority figure in his own life. He's mm-hmm. going to take, he's going to do, he's going to, like he's a nut up or shut up kind of thing. Yeah, Come it's on, there. Growth. Yeah, it's growth. It's growth. That's a much more eloquent way to say it. Yep. He's going to grow. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really going to get, I might be overthinking it, which brings me to another little kind of tangent but important point. Mm-hmm. As a film composer, when you are spotting and you are working on this, it is supremely important that you write down the character arcs. All right, yeah. write down first. If you've ever seen any of my like playlists or classes, if you watched my class that I did with the indie film music contest, it is super important to start out the spotting session, watch the film, and summarize it. All right, what is the main story arc of your story? What is the main character arc of your main characters? Summarize it and write it down mm-hmm. because watching a film 57 times as you score it, you're gonna overanalyze things and kind of the idea of empathizing with the audience scoring to the audience's emotion your audience most likely will not sit down and watch the film 57 times trying unless to break it really down good. Yeah, unless it's <laughs> yeah unless it's really good i've seen some movies an unreasonable number of time mm-hmm. dune and across the spider-verse Same. that's into but across was oh yeah love it so very nice. my main thing is it's very your audience probably isn't going to peel back the layers as deeply as you will and so if you get in your own head and create these themes that are based on layers and layers and layers and layers, you can very quickly become detached from your audience. Mm -hmm. And again, the number one priority, if you take nothing else from this podcast, number one priority of film music is to capture and enhance the emotions of your audience. You're not dictating which emotion they should feel, but you are enhancing the emotions they already feel. And overanalyzing a story can very easily 
throw you off and make it so that you are detached from your audience. If you are detached from your audience because you overanalyze the story, you cannot possibly understand, empathize with the audience, and enhance their emotional experience. Right. Oh. Genuine um, experience is going to trump everything. Oh, yeah. Right. It's going to trump everything. So Now, if you can add little Easter eggs here and there from your overanalysis, that's cool. That's also fun. Uh, yeah. Chances are. But the idea, the goal of that should be a little kind of, haha, look how clever I am kind right. of thing. And again, that's, that's yeah. genuine. Yeah. That's something that yeah. like you're inputting in there, you know, as a piece yeah. of you, and, and yeah. it's a genuine piece of you. So yeah. audiences, we're, we're good at seeing that, and we're good yeah. at feeling it. You know, well, especially I've got a book in my studio over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a 300 page book or something. Maybe it's not that long, but it's a guy who deeply, deeply musical musical is a musicologist who deeply analyzed the Lord of the Rings films, and he caught everything mm-hmm. he caught stuff that the howard shore had forgotten he did all right he went so deep on it so maybe every once in a while if you're lucky you'll get someone that passionate that was moved so deeply by your music they'll do that mm-hmm. but for the most part little easter eggs like that are stuff you do for yourself yep. just not to the deficit of that primary objective right. all right? right so one thing i'd like to bring up about the patronus as well although well i, I won't talk long because i've been talking most of the time but the idea that the Poetronus theme, once again, a new sound palette. Mm-hmm. Very choral, very kind of not like the rest of the Harry Potter music, right? We've had right. jazz, we've had swing, we've had kind of like a little dancing kind of like the dance kind of thing as a running motif, I guess, of music, mm-hmm. with like the Aunt Marge kind of sound. We've got the set theory kind of uh, creepy stuff for the, uh, uh, for the uh, Dementors. And now we have this beautiful, ethereal kind of choral music. So just another example where uh, John Williams is foregoing a deeply intricate web of themes and motifs mm-hmm. to rather use the sound and music itself with the world building and building different layers to the, the world itself. Which again was very within running of Alfonso Cuaron's, Cuaron, or however you pronounce his name, I apologize, um, his way of wanting this this movie to explore the world much much more mm-hmm. all right anything else you want to say on this one no no i just everything i think worked really nicely and i just the movement was what caught yes. me so awesome so this brings us to the end of the first podcast all right excellent so <laughs> if you stayed this long thank you you're a real one i appreciate it <laughs> you made it um we watched this movie today you know that but um next time I don't know. I'm going through a couple of ones. I think Interstellar would be fun because you've never seen that. That would be a fun one. I think uh, I also am seeing on the shelf over there, we've got uh, Night at the Museum, which would be really fun. That with uh, nice. That's Alan Silvestri, another giant. So I don't know. If you've got films you'd like to see us kind of geek out about and just talk about, let us know in the comments. Yeah. If you've got questions for either of us on how different scenes are explored. Maybe we'll do one in the future where people submit movie scenes that mm-hmm. they want us to kind of analyze. No idea. All right, we don't even know if we're going to do more of these. All right, this is just kind of very experimental. Mm-hmm. But yeah, typical sign off. Um, thank you to my patrons. Thank you to everyone who supports me. Check out my class. Check out my books. Check out all that kind of stuff. Thank my sponsor, our sponsor, me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> someone's got to laugh at my jokes. Someone's got to laugh at my <laughs> 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 yeah, So until next time, my guys, uh, my friends, uh, keep studying, keep working hard, keep writing new music. See you in the next video. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, nice work. <laughs>